In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome, good morning, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Tuesday morning, breakfast show with myself, Kayum, and joining me today is uh, Brother Usman Butt and Brother Usman Manan. Uh, the two Aussies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you put so much emphasis on my surname. <laughs> well, no, because I, I don't want to really be going, uh, Usman, what's your take? And then I'll get two voices. The two Aussies. <laughs> Welcome, good morning. Peace be on you, gentlemen. How are you this morning? Wa alaikum salam. Thank you so much for having us, Kim. Yeah, we're absolutely good. It's good. Um, it's actually weird, actually. Um, the weather's so up and down. Um, I don't know what to wear sometimes, but it's um, it's one of those weathers where you, I can tell the season changing because my knuckles are ripping up and this, everyone's getting this. Um, there's like a bug that's going around as well, and I don't know whether it's weather related or what related, but it's uh, yeah, the seasons are definitely changing. But it's a like today is a lovely morning. It is a lovely morning, and uh, today it will be windy with cloud and spells <coughs> of rain. For UK, you could say that every day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> this description but, but, that you just read. But that is lovely <laughs> for the time of year. That's lovely. That is lovely that it will be windy and cloudy and there will be spells of rain. Yeah. But that will be in the northern western part of United Kingdom. It is more likely to be drier in southeast, um, and the rain will be clearing for some sunshine tonight. It's uh, in Scotland. It's raining, but it's always raining in Scotland. But uh, it will be turning cloudy. Um, and it's going to be a mild night in the southeast with some drier spells. I, I think, <coughs> you know what you say when you talk about how um, it, it is that... It, but then we forget it is that time of year where weather is going to change. Yeah. Um, but isn't the winter now starting a lot later? It feels yeah, like it's... Know, it used to be end of the year. Now it's beginning of the year almost. You see, you're talking from a calendar perspective. But mm. in reality, you know, it's... It, the chill is there when you in the morning it's cold evenings is cold yeah. uh, during the day it becomes milder the sun does come out there's you know the, the odd shower is there but <coughs> the day is normally okay what do you think young man yeah uh, like uh, Simon Bartsab said uh, um, this is this is the time and uh, I see as though I feel as though when I'm driving here in the morning uh, like a few days ago I had to turn up the heating for today is a bit like warmer mm -hmm. so I didn't use the heating at all so I thought it would get getting colder every day but still fluctuating up quick, and down quick um, advice for anyone because you reminded me when you said warming up the car mm -hmm. I remember once um, I was driving on the M25 mm -hmm. it was like this season actually Okay. and my like whilst going at 70 my engine just turned off and luckily there's no cars in and around me so I stopped it and then, then long story sh short the guy basically said to me your pistons are blocked okay. which basically means in this season when it gets colder mm -hmm. you need to let your car warm up a bit okay. and I was like what's this guy talking about the car don't need to warm it's a machine he goes no no the engine <laughs> is quite thick sorry the oil is thick uh -huh. and when you turn it on if you don't let it warm up and let that solid turn into liquid then that can block your pistons so that's an advice for anyone that's listening in this weather, give your car a few minutes. There Unless you go. you've got a brand new car. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know what. But <laughs> Unless you've got a brand new car. But if you've got a car like mine that's a bit old, you give it a few minutes in the morning. 
Now, in addition to the cars, <laughs> <laughs> that was your daily auto auto, auto bulletin of the morning. <laughs> God, we we've been within five minutes. You know, you been know. like weather experts, <laughs> car experts. <laughs> Is there anything else anyone wants to give their expert opinion on? There's a disclaimer. Please do not call Mr. Smart to fix your car. <laughs> but do make sure, if you're driving, be ready. You know, have a coat, be warm. Um, and as I always say, look, um, elderly and vulnerable people in your family, make sure that, you know, the heating is on properly, especially in these day and age. The, the, the day and age we are living through, we're going through, ensure that, uh, that they are kept warm, Make sure when they do leave the house that they're wearing warm clothes or at least um, they have uh, got some coat with them because of the chopping and changing of weathers. Um, um, you know, as much as we joke about it, but we are in that season where you will experience all yeah. three. You can't take it for granted. Exactly. And, and uh, one thing, you know, it's something I heard this morning on the way in. COVID is up again by 14%. Wow. And of course... Um, it's the, the the effects of COVID are not as thank God they're not as drastic as before. But <clears throat> if you have a vulnerable person in your family and anybody who's over seventy five, they are now eligible for the fourth jab, the booster. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you get it. All you got to do is go online and uh, and and uh, register them. And they all oh, they can. There's so many walking clinics. Yeah. Um, make sure that uh, everybody within your family who is. Um, eligible, they get it and make the inquiry. Don't expect to be contacted. Yeah. Take take your responsibility take in your own hand. It's great. Is uh, sorry, I know we're going a bit off topic, but you know we it's such a luxury to say like turn the heating up. Yes. When now like turning the heating up could cost you a lot. And what, does, do you, yeah. what do you do then? Like because you know like even in the news clip that came on before this is like the guy who's struggling and now he's on universal credit and he has to go to the food bank I'm saying in that situation where you're struggling and you do have someone vulnerable in your home it's so difficult so I mean the least you can do is layer up put on more clothes try to keep warm as much as you can most definitely um, as usual breakfast show we're here with you um, and we have brought you three topics that we're going to be discussing I think you'll enjoy these topics from 7.30 onwards we're going to be talking about gaming we're going to be talking about the scary future of the gaming world from 8 to 8.30. We're going to be talking about what's happening in Iran. Um, not specifically Iran, but the reason why there are rights in Iran. We're going to be talking about hijab or no hijab, whether it's a personal choice or not. And we're going to finish off um, by um, talking about uh, family members who body shame, um, who body shame members of, a fam of their own family. And... Uh, and and the the reason and and the cause of of uh, sorry not the cause the effect of this body shaming is an insecure uh, low confidence in the the younger generation. If you want to contribute to any of these topics, we would love to hear from you. Oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or you can join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. But as usual. We're going to be going on to what's happening in the news headlines, and I'm sure um, everybody is aware that uh, the, the Conservative Party conference is going on. Um, and uh, <coughs> it's, uh, you know, um, the I newspaper starts with Trust faces new Tory rebellion on benefit cuts. And yes, yesterday, Kwasi Kartang, um, they, he did a U-turn on the 45p 
um, tax cut. You know, what, what makes me laugh is uh, you know uh, the the when when the leadership was contest was going on, everybody was talking about how you know Margaret Thatcher said uh, you know she was famous for saying the lady is not for turning, <laughs> but but this government has done more U-turns than than, than you know than, than you do in a driving test. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, <it's> like, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's U-turns galore. Um, uh, again, it's it looks like the government is going to have to do another U-turn because. Uh, the Conservative Party, within the, their own members, there's going to be, there's likely to be a Tory rebellion, and uh, <coughs> there's not going to they're not going to be able to cut uh, the benefits. Again, the Guardian leads with uh, Tory plot to halt benefit cuts after U-turn over top tax rate. Um, <coughs> Financial Times, UK Premier backs down on tax cuts for the well-off after Tory Party revolt. Uh, Prime Minister takes on rebels in battle to rein in the benefits of the Daily Telegraph. Um, you know, um, the, the the mail talks about, uh, you know, that uh, is basically telling the government to get a grip. That was the headline. Metro talks about what a day. Again, every single newspaper um, has uh, got the, the, or the, you know, the, the, ish, the news about the U-turning. Um, uh, let's see tabloids the lady is for u-turning tax climb down for for poundland thatcher uh, blundering quasi laughs off um top tory calls for general election um the damage is done and that's the key isn't it i mean one of the newspapers talks about how the damage is done the times tories will live or die by economy warns uh, warns patel the problem is as much as we are talking about these headlines um usman i'm sure uh, all gentlemen I'm sure you will agree with me here that it's all well and good us to sit here and discuss these news headlines, but real people, we, we you know, what I always tend to look in, in, in the newspapers or in the mainstream media, everybody talks about problem. And we've just gone through 10 newspapers and all of them have highlighted right. a problem. They've highlighted what the government's doing wrong. And there isn't <coughs> that many people about um, who are giving a solution or looking and maybe solution is the wrong word they're not giving enough remedies of how one can survive these 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 uh, these these situations because it would be naive for people to sit here and think or for us to think this is going to go away at a blink of an eye this is going to be here no matter what happens mm -hmm. the effects are going to be hitting the common man the man about out there <coughs> Uh, the families and middle class families, working class families have been suffering for so long mm. that uh, they've gotten used to it. In fact, my, my, I, I think, again, I could be wrong, I think they will be more resilient and they will, they will be able to cope. The middle class won't be able to because mm. they've never had it so bad. Interest rates from 2% are going to be hitting 5 6%. Mortgages yeah. which were 300 are now going to be hitting 700. Um, you know, your rents which were 1,000 are going to go up to 1,200, 1,300. There's going to be more pain, financial pain, and and there's got to be there's got to be a remedy, no? It's it's sad because um, you know there was a time where I was never interested in politics, hmm. never used to vote, had no interest, and then uh, naturally we were told no, like voting enables change, and you should do it. And then we got into it, um. And then when I got into it, and again, I'm not the most educated, neither am I the most knowledgeable when it comes to these topics, but I very quickly realized that it's it's so difficult mm. in the sense that 
who do you vote for? That's right. Because it's like everyone, pr- everyone will advertise themselves, and they'll tell you what what you want to hear. What you want to hear. And then as soon as they come into power, whoever, I'm not talking about this particular leadership, I'm saying you can look back into yeah, history. That's right. Yeah. As soon as you... like, no, they come Even now, across the board, I mean, there isn't... The, the, there are there are supposed to be so many parties, but if, yeah. you, if you look at the substance, yeah. it's more or less the same. And then, that's the th- and then when, when they take U-turns, mm. and it's almost like, well... And then you start questioning, and I started going through a phrase, I was questioning, well, are they doing this because... An election is coming up, or yeah. are they doing this because it's the right thing to do, or are they doing this because they said one thing, but this is what they really wanted? It's it's just and and then ultimately, I, I then instead of looking at policies, started just looking at individuals. Mm. That okay, is there some element of righteousness in this individual <laughs> yeah. that I'm voting for? Because I think that's the remedy, and and I think the remedy in sense of look, I think when it comes to leadership, you can't keep everyone happy. No, that's just the way of life in any field of life. You can never keep anyone, everyone happy, but it's what is the what is the you can say objective? Is it to serve mm. or is it to to stay in leadership? Well, that's and the thing. Is power, isn't it? It's power, and power I think, is, I think is, has got that. And point. I think His Holiness has said this so many times mm. that the the biggest issue in every field of life at the moment is that we've gone away from our Creator. Yep. We've almost forgotten that He's existing. Because of so many distractions and because of this greed of money, power, whatever it may be. And I think when you lead with a conscious mm. that whether you're alone or you're in public, God is watching you. God is watching you. And I'm serving because it's the right thing to do and I want to win God's pleasure more than anything else. I think that puts a real perspective into how you lead. <coughs> it's simple. I always give the simple, simple example to children as well. It's like it's when you're driving, we all drive. We're all um, guilty of using our phones while we drive. We shouldn't. If I know a police car's next to me, I'll never pick up my phone. I wouldn't even look at my phone <laughs> on the basis I might get stopped. You, you, you don't do it anymore, do you? No, no. no. <laughs> I don't do it, no. You, you don't do it anymore because do it. it's, it's illegal. If, some, if, someone, <laughs> if, someone's call, if someone's messaging me while I call, I would say, Google, what's that Google Assist? You oh, have Siri. Oh, no, no, I don't no. have Siri. No, I don't have the rich phone. Oh, I've got okay. the, I've got the, I love that. I've got See, the, I don't have the rich phone. <laughs> I've got the poor man's phone. No, but it's like... Uh, Hello Google. I don't know what it is, okay. but it's you say you, you use Google Assist on your phone. I okay. said just call the person straight because I'm, I'm driving. Okay, but it's um it's important. That's what I feel. Youngest man, you're you're, <laughs> the, you're, man. you're the you're the young one, um in the in the studio. I I think what uh, brother Osman here talked about uh, from a voting perspective, I think very important. I think some sound um, uh, advice there um, from uh, <clears throat> from the brother. But as a youngster. What's your take on voting? Is politics of, is politics becoming relevant to your generation? Um, it depends. If you if you're interested, if you follow it, you will realize that it is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like every vote, vote counts, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you miss out on the vote, you like maybe the wrong leadership will be chosen, and your vote could have changed it. But I, f- I feel like most of the younger people they, they're not interested in the politics yet. Hmm. They they're still in there like um, worried about the education, university. They don't have time to worry about these things. So I think the people who are a bit more older, more like mm-hmm. um, you mean like me, not yeah, that old, yeah. but <laughs> oh <laughs> my god, did you, did, did you hear that? Did yeah. you hear that? Not that old. Not oh that old. You mean the like Osman's old? Yeah, yeah like yeah, you know, Osman's only a few years older than him. <laughs> okay, a few years is is subjective. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yes. these these people are more like. Uh, 
But then these they people should. decide your what what and how you're going to be studying. So it should be relevant mm-hmm. from from. I mean, you know, I think what eighteen, uh, isn't it? Voting age. I think youngsters need to be more involved now. I think now these politics that we're going to go through internationally, not just UK. I think they're going to be very decisive, and uh, and I, I think the youngsters need to be more involved. But a point going back to a point you made, uh, uh, Brother Usman, is about His Holiness and it and Hazrat Mirza Masuram, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah. May Allah strengthen his hand. Back in 2013, I think it was where he first started warning about the Third World War, the consequences of the government's taking actions. And when he wrote, uh, when His Holiness wrote all those letters uh, to all the world leaders. But in addition to that, what he spoke of was um, this this lack of justice and the and the um, and uh, the lack of true governance. Um, not in the just the political arena, but he talked about it from an industry and the utilities perspective where he talked about there will be a time in countries like United Kingdom where there will be uh, a shortage of gas, a shortage mm-hmm. of electricity. And look, what did they say yesterday? Uh, and they've been saying for the past month or so that in, in, in this winter, in the next couple of months, they're going to be talking about having blackouts. Mm-hmm. Um, on electricity, they're going to have blackouts on gas, where you will not have access to gas for a certain amount of time in the night or in the day. Likewise, you will have. So effectively, you're looking at load shedding. Load shedding, absolutely. In United Kingdom, the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things that you normally attribute to Africa or Asia, where you think, mm-hmm. you know, oh, they don't have enough, um, but they, and they really don't have enough, mm-hmm. but. What can be more worse than a country that has the provision and the capacity to have these these facilities, yet they're not going to be able to get uh, these uh, provisions to their public? It's, it's, I don't know, you're right. It's, um, if that's not, that's like living in an island, Mm. living living in an island in the middle of an ocean and having a shortage of water. No, but it's well, not really. Yes, we have access to we. If we want to spend the money as a country, we we can have access to 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 gas and and to electricity. And end of the day, it's about money. It's about finances. Yeah. It is about money and finances. And of course, governance and politics and diplomacy plays a big part in all this. And and as much as I I don't believe that the Ukraine war has as much an effect on this as the politicians make out of course has had an effect on the global market but the, the you know I, I think what in, in my fear is that this country will people will start to have Ukraine fatigue they're yeah. going to start resenting Ukraine because the politicians have blamed Ukraine for so many things now that the people are going to say well we're not getting something our kids are not being able to have a supply of food, gas, electricity, because there's a war in Ukraine, because mm. we're supporting a war in Ukraine. We don't want it. We don't want it anymore. We don't want to support it anymore. Mm. And and you know it's and and this is where I, I think politics is 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 on a, is I think we're in a in a in a very dangerous position at the moment, from a UK perspective and from an international perspective. And and I, and and agree, I agree with you that uh, you know that the there is a lack or or non-existence 
um, of uh, of faith and belief of God. Yeah, no, I think uh, in these times, again, we've mentioned this before on a previous show, but again, it comes down to taking charge of what you're actually in control of as an individual. Mm. Like, for example, if the country decides to do all of this, what are I, you going to do? Yeah, as what an am I going to do as an individual? And I can only do that and if, that's I the key, so, if I self evaluate, okay, this are my circumstances, this is what's going to happen, this is where I can cut down, this is where I need to be a bit sensible. Uh, the heating doesn't need to be on in every room. Maybe I can serve, reserve some areas. There's certain things that we can do. So, so that's the beginning point of the remedy that we're talking about, isn't it? It's about what you can do as an individual. Yeah. But not just from facing these challenges, but also looking for solutions outside of the material world that you live in. Yeah. It's got to start from within, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with these provisions, for example, like you said, His Holiness, for many years now, has been telling us, reminding us, not just us, the whole world, that you know this could happen, and you should ration, and you should <coughs> have things in stock. Uh, and I think we always assume the worst, hmm. or we'll plan for the worst, and we don't realize that the worst is. We have no idea. Yeah, we know. We don't know if that if yeah. that is going to happen, when it will happen. But it's the small blocks of things that build up that lead to that. And if you're not prepared, then when it becomes too heavy of a burden, is when we crumble. But if you've made those provisions, then as the difficulty level rises, you're still in control of your emotions, of your your situation, your finances, and the well-being of your family. And I feel that's when. There's so many examples where, for example, we've rationed and something's happened. There's a flood. In Cumbria, there was a flood. People weren't able to go shopping, anything, but then those provisions came into play. Uh, even where I live, it's at the moment, there's a lot of construction going on. The gas got cut off. I had little cylinders that I did when I was rationing. It came into play. So there's, there's many examples. I think sometimes we always plan for the worst, uh, not worrying about not thinking ahead in terms of evaluating that what could happen and what I'm, what are the steps I'm going to take so it's difficult though I, I think it's easy to say that <laughs> when you have the provisions but when someone for example with young children or an elderly individual at home who's vulnerable and they don't have the resources then, then what do you do? Would you say I am incorrect when I say youth like young Usman here that as much as you are saying that we sometimes prepare for the worst, but when it comes to the younger generation, they're of the mindset this ain't never going to happen to me. Which is, I mean, what, what's your take on, on this notion of no gas, no electricity or shortage of rationing of water, not having enough supplies in the market? I mean, is that something that your generation thinks about or you think this is all just talk and we will blow over well most of the youngsters they, they don't pay for bills they like yeah. most people live with parents or mm -hmm. so that's you know like i said it's it's uh, the more the more you're interested in something the more you research about something the more you you see the problems coming up mm. so if you start looking into politics gas so gas shortage even the youngsters will start thinking oh like i don't have to pay for it it's not my job but at the end of the day i use it mm. Like electricity, like you know, kind of come to gaming. Like I have to play my, you know, PlayStation. How am I going to do that when electricity is cutting? <laughs> you know, you know, it made me laugh. I think it, you know, if if there is a shortage of electricity and people are not going to be able to charge their phones, 
There, there's going to be a mental health epidemic. <laughs> I can't turn my phone on. <laughs> That's a good point. I changed to buy an old phone. The battery which lasts for like a week. Or like portable but, charges. But, but that's, it's as much as it's funny, it's true. True, yeah. Young, and I mean, I keep saying young, people of all ages have now become so reliant on their mobile phones that I think there will be problems. One thing I've also noticed though, uh, and I've given this example before, sometimes, look, young people, they're very, they observe yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, and I gave an example of like a of a child, very young child, maybe two, three years old, who st- his habit was he he stopped eating because he noticed that his parents weren't earning as much. Hmm. Uh, and at that age, I don't know how you notice, but he only noticed that his parents' habits had changed. Well, his parents weren't eating. Yeah. He didn't. Pa- he wasn't seeing, his, probably. His parents' habit has changed. Yeah. They stopped eating. He stopped eating. And then, obviously, the whole situation was, you know, they were financially struggling. Hmm. But that child changed his habits. And, and that hit me. And I was like, actually, children, even up to 16, 17, 18, they know what's going on at home. Mm. If their parents are struggling, arguing, whatever it is, they know. Mm. And that has an effect on their behavior. So maybe you could see now, if parents are struggling, a lot of younger people going into work because actually they need their finances. So I don't know in the long run, that might even affect our education because when you have to choose between education or actually uh, we need income, Mm. what do you do? Stark choices to make. Yeah, because a lot of our... When I speak to a lot of people who migrated to this country, like our parents' age... Uh, even your parents, whoever it are, when they migrate to this country, they're of that age of education, but they choose to work because they need the finances to support families back home, whatever it may be. So it, it could be, we might see that actually now, where, you know, children who, of, of, from a family who can't afford anything and this, the benefit system is not really doing anything for them, potentially you might go into work. You're listening to Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, Brother Osman Bhatt and Brother Osman Manan. We would love to hear from you, 0208 We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning, which is our reality, just a game for others, the scary future of the gaming world. <coughs> if, you have, uh, if you're a gamer, if you think uh, that uh, you can contribute... Um, I'm sure young Usman here and, uh, well, the young Aussies, both of them will have something to say about this more than I will. I will probably sit back and listen um, for once. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it'll be good to good to see what, uh, or good to hear um, your opinion on, on uh, this subject. 0208 687 or join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. We're going to come back after some brief messages.
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Persecuted for your beliefs, jailed for your faith, and exiled from your homeland, but you refuse to turn to bitterness or vengeance. Instead, His Holiness has emerged as a leader of wisdom and compassion, a champion of nonviolence among nations. No society can truly succeed unless it guarantees the rights of all of its peoples including religious minorities. Whether they're Ahmadiyya, Muslims in Pakistan, or Baha'i in Iran, or Coptic Christians in Egypt. I would like very much to confirm my support for the work that His Holiness and the Ahmadi Muslim community are doing, particularly in London. Even I didn't know when I was elected, then my name even will be proposed. The election is the same as the Pope is elected, but without smoke. I know you are a regular uh, visitor and speaker to parliaments and assemblies around the world, whether it's the US Congress or the, or the European Parliament. Let it be clear that I am not speaking in support or favor of any particular individual country. What I wish to say is that all forms of cruelty, wherever they exist, must be eradicated and stopped, regardless of whether they are perpetrated by the people of Palestine, the people of Israel, or the people of any other country. In this we are allied with His Holiness, a courageous champion of religious freedom and of peace. I'm very glad that the movement like yours will do something to correct this image. Islam means peace. I should thank Your Holiness for your highly enlightened sermon, not only uh, for the Ahmadis, but I would say for all mankind. Love for all and hatred for none. And this message not only for Muslims, but for everybody. man, though of humble beginnings, your leadership has made you a figure of global prominence, and you have become a guide for millions of Muslims worldwide. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. Welcome back to Tuesday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, Brother Usman, and Brother Usman. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it's not a glitch in the audio. It's not a glitch in the audio. Uh, welcome, Brother Usman. Welcome, Brother Usman. <laughs> <laughs> On to our top, first topic of the morning. We are going to be talking about gaming. Um, <clears throat> Review of Religions, uh, one of the oldest publications in the world, um, did a, uh, the, the team, the young team uh, of Review, went out and... Uh, uh, sought some opinions of what the public uh, think of of gaming and the addiction. So let's go and listen to this audio of what uh, people had to say. And when we come back, we will pick up on and discuss some of um, the uh, some of the opinions um, that uh, people shared with us. So let's go and listen to what um, the review uh, did out on the street. 
We're going to be going out on the streets asking people's opinions about how much do they think is considered too much gaming and whether gaming companies are also doing enough to help support the idea of gaming addiction and now that is considered a gaming disorder as well. Do you play video games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Fortnite, Call of Duty. How, how, how many hours do you say you play? I don't know, like, like 10. 10 hours a day? Yeah. In the past, I used to play like five hours straight. How in a day? But in a day, yeah, in yeah. a day. Now that I look at it, it's like I've seen that like I could have done more things rather yeah. than just play for five hours straight. I think, I think there's not, maybe not such a thing as too much gaming but maybe there's your gaming is there a limit though i think that yeah, maybe there's a limit yeah but i think it's it's to do with how how well you can then go back into go your how how your normal everyday life is yeah. would, you, would you call yourself a gamer yeah. i call her a game addict yeah okay okay yeah, so sure. do you think that would affect your social life as well or no oh it does 100 really i rarely yeah. see her she's always in her own yeah how often do you, would you say you game quite regularly what, what games do you play uh, Overwatch, Minecraft, Siege. What would you call a game addict? How many hours would you say? Um, I wouldn't say hours, I'd say when it starts to take over everything in your life. And at the moment, I've been going through a period of gaming quite a bit. Yeah. Um, mainly just playing GTA. As an adult, is it can be gaming can be different, but as a youth, like it can be quite challenging, no? I feel, yeah, I think gaming can become a, a crutch. It can become a, a distraction from from everyday life. But it's just like anything else, um, just by drugs, alcohol. Like anything, you, you, you sort of fall into that. And Research shows that 91% of kids are gamers. According to Nuzu, there are now more than 2.5 billion gamers across the world. We spoke to a behavioural expert and a mental health advocate on the science behind gaming and its addiction. Here's what they had to say. Now, this is very interesting because people may be predisposed to have almost addictive personalities. In terms of addiction itself, um, it may relate to, for example, insecurity. If so if you are genetically predisposed to being easily peer pressured or to be easily influenced, then you are a lot more likely to, you know, be influenced by any external, stim external stimuli. So it could be games, it could be, you know, pop culture, it could be anything. Recently, gaming was classified as a disorder, mental health disorder. So what's your opinions on that? Well, I think that's, that's ridiculous because it's uh, if if you have a, if you have an addictive personality or you're addicted to something, it's not really about what the thing is. Fair enough, you can say somebody has an alcohol addiction, but there's also a chemical side to that and to drugs as well. But it's more the addiction than what it is. So gaming addiction as a disease um, is quite interesting because it's not just about someone who plays games a lot. It's actually about someone who over at least 12 months found that their life and the quality of life has deteriorated as a result of their engagement in gaming. So yeah. say if you're neglecting stuff like showering or uh, just eating or just yeah. sleeping in general. So example would be actually they stop showering completely, they stop feeding themselves um, because they might have to leave, leave the game or something like that. If it's taken over your lifestyle then that's when it's an addiction. You haven't been in that position ever, have you? Uh, I wouldn't say I have. I know when to stop. Um, I like to push the boundaries though. If it is considered a disease, a problem that needs to find a solution, then more research bodies, more people would look into find, actually finding a way to help people get better from this disease, if, if they're calling it a disease. So I think it's a sensible move, definitely. Well, I have um, nieces and nephews and their parents are very responsible, so they would have to do what their homework and whatnot 
and maybe more time on the weekends. Mm. What's, your, what's your idea of that, of these free games coming out and being so accessible like, like that on a game? I think, well, I think a lot of them are, are freemium, so they draw you in because you can just jump in and play, but then they make, they make it hard for you to fully enjoy the game without having to purchase. The head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has previously highlighted how kids are wasting money on games like Fortnite and gave guidance on how to prevent the dangers they could bring. बस बच्चे आजकल एक नई गेम शुरू हुई है फोर्टनाइट उसमें अपनी रकमें दाया करते हैं वालदेन को भी चाहिए उससे उनको रोकें क्योंकि एक के बाद अगले स्टेप पे जाने के लिए फिर कार्ड लेते हैं फिर पैसे खर्च करते हैं ना सिर्फ ये उनके वक्त आया हो रहा है और गलत किस्म की सोचें पैदा हो रही हैं बल्कि बाद वालदेन को भी नुकसान हुआ है इस चीज़ से बचना चाहिए Kids even have gone and taken their parents' credit cards, debit cards or, or funds and gone and bought games or bought these additions on, in the games without their parents' knowledge. Not only is that then detrimental to the children's well-being in the sense that they've found it so easy to go and do these things, um, but it's also detrimental to the family as a whole, you know. We got in contact with you because of the gaming story, right? About in terms of like the Fortnite and stuff like that. How many hours would you say you played? Three to four hours a day. In in the Caliph's video, Hazrat Musa Muhammad, he he talked about particularly playing Fortnite and how it's affecting the youth. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? About when you listened to the sermon, how that changed? After listening to the sermon, uh, people in the Jamaat were saying that like Hazrat didn't mean to completely stop playing, but he wanted us to realize that we're spending too much time playing and it shouldn't affect our prayers and reading Quran. All my friends in the Jamaat and I, we together didn't stop playing as much and tried to spend more time doing stuff together at the mosque. So you felt as if your social life, did it change after the Caliph's sermon? I had much more free time to do other stuff that was more important than playing games. It was just, it was just conversation. We interviewed a gaming expert and he was talking about how gaming can influence lives and or do you have limits in your gaming as well? I try to only play after I've finished all my homework so that it's not getting in the way of anything. You know, online purchases while playing the games and we had restriction on that, that, you know, if you have to buy anything online, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, I think Hazur's khutbah came just at the right time for us because he was exactly at that age where you can cross over, I feel. Yes. Because everybody in his group stopped it was, I think, uh, a blessing for him because Zuhir specifically mentioned uh, Fortnite, at least give up Fortnite. Like Mouloud's story, there are many others who changed their habits after listening to the Caliph's sermon. This was just one of the examples. The Review of Religions further asked His Holiness, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, about children and gaming. His Holiness said, that children should be allowed a maximum of one hour screen time per day. His Holiness further stated, Experts and psychiatrists have detailed the negative effect of excessive screen time for children. For example, the impact it has on a child's eyes and other features, which are in a stage of development. Therefore, parents should be mindful of this.
The World Health Organization itself has raised concerns about whether such games can be addictive. The World Health Organization officially designated gaming disorder as a mental health condition. Well, how much responsibility falls on the parents? On a day when there's no school, what's usage look like? Ideally, an hour, two hours. We're constantly trying to engage them. Let's do this. Let's go here. They are so addicted to them that they don't know how to come off of them. And there we had uh, <coughs> the review. Um, talking about uh, I'm asking people on what their take on gaming is and during the break I was asking um, our young brothers if uh, if they have an interest in gaming because to be honest um, in, in people of my age I mean I'm a dinosaur so I am I am talking about when people of my age talk about gaming we talk about oh you know we we got together and played maybe a little bit of FIFA or you know we, um, some driving game or some fighting game yeah, again, you know, when we were young, we used to, friends used to get together, but that was um, a very controlled, um, very timed um, get-together of friends who were, um, you know, some friends used to go bowling, some used to get together and, and play for games for two to three hours during the week. But the gaming phenomenon now is of a different scale, is it not? I mean, it's people's lives are gaming true Bo People both of you money. I mean I'm looking to both of you because you will mo most probably be able to shed some light on this better than I would um, from a pro and a con I think w one thing you mentioned which is the biggest difference <clears throat> is before even if you were to game within your friends mm. it was a physical yeah. activity you would have to get together mm. physically you would only have two control pads so only two two of your friends that could play in one time and the rest were just engaging or eating or doing whatever now the whole like you said the whole concept of gaming is you don't have to leave your house you don't even need to know who you're playing against and that's dangerous and and you're you feel that you're amongst a community is that not dangerous very much dangerous and i think that's a huge difference in like when we even when i was younger i mean obviously it's within my youth when this whole online gaming started as well but the fact that when you had to play with your friends you're right one week it was bowling one week it was we're going to go play fifa one yeah. week we're going to do this it was still a physical kind of interaction you're not missing out on your social skills and i feel now the biggest difference is you get so comfortable in your own home time flies by and uh, when it starts like mentioning the clip when it starts affecting your routine <clears throat> when it starts affecting basic, you could say fundamentals of observing not just your own rights in terms of sleep, eat, like the professional said, but also others around you, then it's an then it's an issue. Then it's an addiction. Uh, but I don't know what Osman thinks because <clears throat> he seems like a keen gamer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, you 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 did say that that you know you 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 wouldn't class yourself as a gamer, but it's something you have done. So all the things mm -hmm. that uh, Brother Shman talks about, the, the negative sides of it, do they ever cross your mind that your being, you're, you're kind of putting yourself in danger? Do you, does that even cross the mind when, when you think gaming, danger? How is that possible? No, I think uh, what, what used to cross my mind, like still does, is um, my attitude when I'm, if I'm playing something. Okay. So usually I'm so very calm, and, but when I'm playing or when I'm like uh, gaming, basically, 
it's something like you you indulge in it so much that if somebody distracts you, you you get angry like I'm busy. Mm. Even though like, your parents might be thinking you're just playing a game, mm. but well, you people, are just playing a game. Yeah, but people who are playing <laughs> the game. That's the thing, and that's the thing, isn't it? It is a game, but even though I'm calling, I'm I'm, I'm going to use you as an example mm. here, hypothetically speaking. But if you're playing the game, but to you it's not a game. You're into this world of gaming. Yeah. It's not a game, as in but the it's word like, it's game. Like, it's it's like a different a, world, isn't it? It's like a football match. Yeah. A real life football match. People think it's just a match. But people who are playing in the match, this is like their life. This is what they live for. Yeah. So I mean, this is a profession, people say now. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a gamer. Yeah. And there's a lot of money in it as well. That's the, that's yeah, the attraction. But, but exactly. <laughs> but is it this like how many people make money from gaming? I mean, uh, uh, ratio. One in a million? But the, the issue is, in any field of life, you can't really hit the heights of making money from that profession unless you invest time. And I think when people see that, they that's an easy option just to sit at home and game all i need is wi-fi the actual game and i need to invest so much time into it that i actually become good at it Dangerous. i think you have to you have to you have to you have to have a lot of skill as well yeah. that's the issue like young people like very especially children like they start playing 18 plus games like 10 11 nobody really follows this hold on hold on 10 11 year olds are playing 18 plus games probably younger i, I had cousins I was like 15, so I was playing Call of Duty. Hmm. I have a cousin, he's like eight or nine. Hmm. He was better than me, <laughs> but he used to play that every day. Hmm. So these these age restrictions, I think they're only until the, the store. So when you go to buy the game, the parents will buy it for you. And Well, you see, this, is, this goes back to me and you discussing last week when we were on Saturday Morning hmm. Live the week before. Parents agreeing to pacify their child by agreeing to do something which actually is technically illegal yeah technically technically i mean if an if an if a, if if a gaming commission has said this game is should not be played for someone by anyone who's below 18 there's a reasons behind that yet parents to pacify their child because their children are saying, "Well, in school they do this, and everyone's yeah. got it, and <laughs> and they do, and the, the the classic they don't know what they're doing when they're classifying these things. They're all kids, it's all over TV. Ten million excuses, and because parents want to pacify instead of being parents, yeah. uh, or look for alternatives, they are buying these games, and and, and to me." As much as we consider and say, well, the young generation, this and that, it's it's not just the young generation, is it? It's it is parental attitude as well, where gaming is uh, is a behaviour where sometimes, as, as you know, we we listen um, on on that clip where parents are just like they sit and observe and 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 just observe and allow their children to spend hours on end on games, but they will do nothing. The thing is, with with gaming, it's like. Gaming is not a bad thing, yeah. It's just that when well, you the amount of time, yeah, you spend it's when on when you when when something becomes an addiction, mm. whatever that thing is, yeah. Even if it's religion, mm. I'll give you an example of religion. Mm. When something becomes an addiction or an obsession, or it takes over your life, where now you are not fulfilling the rights of anyone in and around you, then that's not. Even if it's a good thing you're doing. 
it no longer remains good. For example, there's an, in the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, there was many examples, but I'll give you one, where someone was so keen on fasting, reading the Holy Quran, praying, and they took it to such a, a level where they forgot everyone around them. Yeah. They forgot everyone. And there's an example where there was this woman a wife of a companion um, and she had kind of stopped putting an effort into her dress into her like into her kind of her mannerism hmm. and a companion noticed and thought maybe you know what's wrong Some, something's off because obviously mm-hmm. normally her she she's in a very pre- presentable yeah. way now she it's a bit different so she asked uh, and he asked, sorry, and then her reply was that actually my husband, he's so kind of keen on fasting and praying, uh, we don't get any time together. So obviously I used to put in that effort for him, and now it's we our relationship's a bit, mm. not that anything's wrong, but he's like focused on something else. So when the Prophet came to find out about this, he straight away sent a message to that individual that no, you have to fulfill your rights to your to your wife, your parents, your children, your family members, your neighbours. And that in itself is a form of worship. Mm. So then that, that individual then changes habits. So even when it's religion, that we don't go to any sort of extreme. Like Islam is all about living a balanced lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. And yeah. it's the same with gaming. We're not saying that gaming's wrong. By yeah. all means, we all do it. Play, enjoy yourself. But I think where it turns into an obsession, and there's so many stories like mentioned in the clip, where children have memorized their parents' details, yeah. their card, card details, details, and before you know it, they've blown like a thousand pound or two thousand pound without their parents' permission or knowledge. That's when it becomes an issue. Um, and I've seen it so much more. I've even noticed on myself sometimes, actually, that it's not even like a PlayStation. It's like on your phone, you could have games. Mm. To the extent where if you have one minute of being bored even if it's like you're watching a TV program sometimes I'm, like, if I'm watching a TV program and for one minute it's like a boring scene or episode or whatever it is I just stop playing that game and that one minute of me being bored turns into like five minutes of me playing this game and missing out on the five minutes of whatever's happening so it totally affects your your behaviour at home um, your social skills, your social enjoyment of actually it changes your psyche. It, it, it does, it does, and I feel it's you only understand this as you experience more in life. Um, it, it's a difficult one, though. Let, let's go listen to um, a clip um, where His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, um, um, answer this question: How to prevent mobile? Uh, gaming addiction um, he was talking to the life devotees uh, the young life devotees uh, in a uh, audience um, when uh, boys from Mauritius were given an audience with his holiness so let's go and see what his holiness said how should we encourage them to play less games on mobile phones <laughs> you see it is a matter of uh, realization of your duties if you realize that your main objective and duty is to set good examples and don't waste your time instead of get addicted to mobile phone and internet games and other things, it is a matter of understanding. So every Ahmadi should understand that his main obligation is 
to offer five-time daily prayers. And not only offering five-time daily prayers just for the sake of offering prayer, but to achieve the love of Allah, the Almighty. So when you realize your duty, when a boy who is of mature age, he realizes the purpose of his existence is the worship of Allah, the Almighty, then he will give preference to the main thing. And then, after having completed those things, if he gets some time, he can play with the mobile games or other things, but the parents should also be watchful. And they should watch all the time what their children are doing. See, a child 10 years of age should not spend more than one hour on games. Outside games are much better than the mobile games that can help you better your health. It is the duty of the parents as well. They should watch. Their children are not spending much time and make them realize with love and kindness that they have some purpose and they should try to achieve that purpose instead of wasting time on mobile games. Right? I don't say that you should not play mobile games. There are quite a number of games which can help you increase your knowledge. And there are some games which are just wastage of money. You just get addicted to those games. Fortnite and something like that. Eh? They are all useless games. So you should not spend money and time on those. If your parents are watchful and you yourself have realized this, you know it is a mature age. You should realize your responsibility. That being a vakfino, you should not waste your time. Spend most of the time in reading instead of getting addicted yourself into the bad games, right? I can only advise, I have been doing it in my khutbahs and other sermons, so those who listen to my khutbahs and properly, attentively listen to it, then they will definitely change their minds and change their habits. And it has happened among so many Bakfinino children, those who have even written to me, that after listening to your khutbah, we have stopped playing the games and such things. So, it's a matter of realization. And now you are mature, you should realize it. And there we had His Holiness Azam Islam the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah. May Allah strengthen his hand, um, telling young devotees from Mauritius um, about uh, how you can deal with the, the, the addiction and how you can kind of not fall into the trap of of becoming addicted and and I think you know uh, he's only um, you know right at the end when he talks about the maturity um, levels and and this goes back to how what you were saying Usman that it is part and parcel of our life and as yeah. we grow as we mature as our understanding about life improves and we understand better this kind of needs to fall in line with that, isn't it? Absolutely. But I think one of the dangers is, and it just came to my mind, when you hear stories of, like in Yorkshire, there was like a stabbing and like it was three 15 to 16-year-olds that just kind of murdered someone. Mm. By no means am I saying that gaming caused that, but I'm saying this is the dangers of gaming where from eight, like Usman said, from eight mm. years old, his cousin's playing this game. Mm. And virtually in a game, in the gaming world, he's very comfortable killing someone. Yeah. If, for example, then you go through something in life where that you, you presents forget. itself, yeah, you forget. You're, it's, it's so it's so difficult. Again, the the point I'm making is, 
of course it's all fun and games we say it's all fun and games and I have control over I can stop mm. but the reality is not everyone's in the same boat so the addiction will take you to a level where you forget the gaming you, you forget that the gaming world is a fictional world and you kind of act in the same way no, in the real world I because don't, I don't mean that for everyone though no I'm no saying, I'm saying yeah. that that's the worst possible effect yeah, the worst scenario is that but, someone who's going through something in life but even decides to one individual yeah of course, of I, I, course. you know in, in, in these scenarios yeah. is, is one too many yeah of course Young man, um, you're, you're the you're the main generation. We're I think it's more here. like for, uh, not forgetting the reality is that you you don't you don't understand the value of life. Hmm. You don't understand the value of another person's life. I want you to hold that thought because we're coming up uh, to to eight a.m. and we're gonna take a quick break. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or go get some lunch. Oh, lunch. Go and get lunch. some some breakfast. <laughs> you know I'm hungry, don't you? Um, we're going to take a quick break uh, for the news and some messages and when we come back we're going to go on we're going to finish this topic and go on to our next topic of the morning join us after the news a news station the voice of Islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam welcome back to Tuesday morning breakfast show with myself Kayyum and brother Usman and brother Usman um, just before um the break, uh, um, young man. You were gonna, you're gonna be, you were gonna kind of finish up the topic for us, um, and your take on on the gaming addiction. So please, it's all over to you. Yeah, I was just saying that uh, you you lose a bit of reality, and uh, I was, I was uh, talking reference to like uh, some like school shootings and stabbings, which Brother uh, yeah. Osman mentioned. So I was, uh, in my view, I think it's that people don't understand the value of life. And uh, they think, like in a video game, you know, like you just you know come back respawn, but it doesn't happen. But there's other factors as well. It's not just gaming. It's to do a lot with the parenting. If the parents, yeah. they took care of their child, they controlled his gaming. His, like you said, gaming is not a bad thing. Gaming, everyone does gaming. We we do gaming at like. You know, it's the more national gatherings. So yeah, yeah. E- everywhere, but it's, everything it's in moderation. Isn't it? Yes, it's organized. It's controlled. But if uh, so, parents have a very, very big responsibility in controlling the gaming and everything of their son or child or daughter. Or daughter. And uh, if if that is controlled, then gaming is not a bad thing. It's actually very, very beneficial. I, actually, because I, I come from Germany, and I used to play a, a game on on the on the PC, and it was only in English. So I didn't know any English back then. So I learned a lot of English from just that game. So my my English improved drastically compared to my you know other people around me, and then when I moved to the UK, I, I didn't struggle that much with my English uh, learning wise. So gaming can be very useful, and it can be dangerous as well. So as, as Holiness Hazamizam uh, Suramad also mentioned, is that once you start getting addicted, and you you don't realize you start spending money, you ch- steal from your parents to buy things on the game. This is where you lose control. So it's uh, gaming is dangerous, but it's only dangerous if the parents don't take or care of the child. Just to finish off, Usman um, Senior, um, we, th- there are set certain signs, isn't there, that parents Absolutely. can look out for? Absolutely. Uh, this is the point I was actually going to make. That I think you have to see the signs. I think when when parents r- resort to gaming as oh, just just take this game and play, so I can get on with my own thing. Yeah. I think that's where it becomes an issue mm-hmm. and then the the love and care that a child 
requires from a parent or the attention that it requires from a parent if he's getting that from the game if he's getting that comfort from a game that's when it becomes a danger so yes you're right I think with everything as a parent it's so key to have a positive relationship with your child to observe the signs that okay my child his behavior is different maybe something's going on in school or something's happening with him I need to give him more attention rather than just throwing a phone in his face or telling him to go and play uh, you know a console so that is so important when you see any sort of change in behavior attitude you need to address that as a parent rather than just ignore it and think that he's going through a phase you're listening to the breakfast show with myself uh Kayum, usman senior usman junior we're going to go on to our next topic of the morning which is uh, hijab or no hijab a personal choice um, i mean <clears throat> the the gist of the story is um, i'm sure everybody's aware of uh, of the of the protests and the demonstrations in Iran and around the world outside Iranian embassies all over Europe and, and America where Masha Amin's death in police custody has sparked a wave of protest across Iran the 22 year old was arrested <coughs> by Iran's morality police for the way that she wore her hijab this is a story of how one woman's tragic fate has led to a nationwide and international outpouring of anger against the authorities so should choosing to wear a religious or a cultural cu- cultural covering be a personal choice um Swan senior is it is hijab a cultural or a religious um um garment or is it is it something which um culturally or religiously and and it's very important to, that you separate these two words culture and religion that you must you are you you have to wear this so th- this is it's a very good question mm. and a lot of people ask it because you do see a lot of different versions of it yeah but it is a religious injunction um to cover yourself now when you say injunction that sounds such a strict very it's hardened word well i need to i wish i had the right click button and uh, i could pick another word but it's a commandment yes it's a religious commandment injunction that you sh- you should cover yourself hmm. um the, and in fact before women are instructed to cover themselves men are also instructed ah, to see. lower their gaze wear modest clothing so the injunction so, is on women and men the injunction of you can this concept of parda Yeah. which in english would be covering 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 yeah is not just to women yeah. it's also to men but the key kind of foundation of this injunction is modesty mm-hmm. now you would see different takes of it mm-hmm. different uh, cultures have their own kind of versions of it uh, but the basic instruction from god almighty is to cover your head mm-hmm. to cover your um, chest area mm-hmm. and to make sure that you wear kind of long modest clothes but but before the injunction for women there is an injunction on men which is mentioned before yeah the injunction on women isn't it so that that Th- there is a significance to that isn't there yes there is a significance to that because one ultimately like i said we're only in control of our own actions yep so we're instructed as men to always lower our gaze mm mm-hmm. because one it keeps us humble and it also reminds us of the the message that we're supposed to get from this injunction that lower your gaze so that 
you can protect yourselves from any vice or difficult situation. So, <clears throat> and then women are also instructed to cover themselves. The, but the, that covering... The, the reason I, I wanted to emphasize that for, for our listeners, um, our non-Muslim listeners, all they ever hear is women this, women this, women this. Yeah. But they never hear that men are also subject to, men are also supposed to follow the similar injunction. And the term lowering your gaze is not just a physical exercise of lowering your gaze. There's a broader meaning. <coughs> There's a huge broader meaning to lowering your gaze. I say it to all of our, <coughs> you know, like our members of our youth folks. When I see someone in, in our community wearing very tight, tight, tight clothes, mm. okay, he can wear that. Mm. But I straight away say to him, look, this, there's no element of modesty in this. Mm. Like if you're wearing skin tight jeans mm. and t-shirts that just only reveal your physique rather than kind of covering your physique mm. then that that's against this teaching as well it's not just for women like you have to feel the modesty is a gender free word yes <laughs> you have to dress modestly yeah um yes of course everyone wants to look good mm. that's not the point here but the point is dressed in a modest way clothes are supposed to cover your body yes you can wear nice clothes no one's stopping you from wearing nice branded clothes do whatever you want but wear it in a modest way that is not an issue or a difficulty for someone else so whether you are male or female even with regards to this injunction in the Quran it says you should cover your head mm. you should cover your chest area and you should wear modest clothes so that your you can say your body parts that need to be covered are covered in a modest way mm. now like I said in different countries they have different forms they may be uh, for example you would see uh, in Asia, they'll wear long black coats uh, and then they'll have the hijab on as well, mm. which is fine. And, uh, and the women that have come to this country, they've carried that on. In fact, that is actually not just a cultural thing. That's become a fashion thing as well. If you go to any... I say this because I <laughs> I see the shopping baskets that my missus normally buys on H&M or whatever website mm. is, that they have these now as, as fashionable coats mm. um, or as cardigans or whatever it may be. But hijab is not just... Hijab is not something just associated to Islam, is it? It's before Islam. Yeah, I mean, if you see some really... Uh, I mean, if really you look at Jew, you say a that. lot of Jewish ladies, a lot mm. of Christian ladies, they still cover their hair. And, I see and, a and lot these of, religions came before I, Islam. I see a lot of elderly women. Mm. Um, maybe it's just a practice of this. Maybe it's not even a religious thing. Mm. But they would cover their heads with this, like... Uh, I don't know if it's a, a cloth or it's a headscarf. A, a, it's, it's a scarf. It yeah. is a headscarf, but the way they do it, it's mm. almost like it covers it and they knot it under their chin mm. and it covers their hair all the way back mm. and they're just like walking. A, like a handkerchief. Yeah, it's yeah. like a yeah, but like a headscarf. It's like a headband, like a, like a headband on it, yeah. But that it's just again, it's not fashion for them. No. It's not um, a religious injunction for them. It might have been, but now they're just doing it because that's normal for them. Mm. And if you see, I remember because I'm from Tooting. I came across some like really, really. Don't tell everybody. Don't tell everybody. No, but I came across some really old pictures of like this is tooting in the nineties or whatever it was, uh -huh. um, not in the nineties and then nineteen eighties or many many years ago, and when you see people people walking around, that's what it was. That yeah. was the norm of women walking around, and I think when it comes to modesty, again someone and someone asked me as an, it's difficult as as male speaking on this topic because it's when women talk on this topic. It's a lot more powerful. Hmm. But someone asked me about this topic and I kept saying to them, I said, if I had something valuable, I'm just giving an example. Let's say money is of value to me. If I had a thousand pound, I wouldn't be walking around with it. Hey, I've got a thousand pound. 
there you go advertising that I've got this money I would protect it con- mm. to continue to make sure that it's still there every five minutes to check it's still in my pocket right and I said women for us and if you study the teachings of the Holy Quran you would think that men have no rights <laughs> women have all the rights mm. in the terms of how much protection re- protection they have and how much care we're supposed to give them mm. and how much love we're supposed to give them and affection we're supposed to give them almost men would be if you study it properly you would think wow like men have no rights in this religion but but, but the but reason I say that is because again is that's how much value women are to us but but the point you're making I, I think it's interesting and, and very valid that, that, that the rights of women um, and comparatively to the western world where they talk of equality I mean, you know, they still haven't achieved the equality. I don't think they will ever achieve because the, the equality that Islam has been offering for 1400 years. Yeah. But the actions of the the so-called morality police in Iran, there's no place in Islam for that, is there? thing is, Islam teaches that there's no compulsion in religion. Yep. So if someone decides today not to be a Muslim, hmm. there's no element of force. There's no element of punishment. That's a f- choice by their free will that they've made. Mm. Yes, we encourage as Muslims mm-hmm. that look, if you've chosen this path, understand then, then it. Follow it. F- understand it yeah. first before you f- don't just blindly follow. Mm. Understand it, study it, understand your purpose, mm. objectives, and then follow it. These are the rules in place to protect you and mm. to make society enlarge a better place. And it's important. You, I mean, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Don't blindly follow just because you're because you've been told to do it. Mm. It's very important that yeah. you will only be following a certain injunction will only be useful to you if you understand why you're doing 100%, something. Hundred percent. And I feel with this one, like it's so important. For example, if it's natural, like any Muslim parent, mm. you know, like I said, children are sponges, so they see you pray, they'll start praying, they'll just stand next to you. That's right. They'll start following the kind of physical actions. Mm. Uh, and especially if you have a daughter when she gets to a certain age you just start dressing her in a way in a modest way you put a scarf over her head Mm. if that never leads to a conversation that you know this is why we do this this is why you do this then ultimately that just becomes like a normal practice to that girl Mm. where her friends would question her and if she doesn't have the answers then she'll probably think actually why, why am I doing this then that element of wearing a headscarf or dressing in a modest way you never really understand the wisdom. I mean, some, for some people, it could be different. Maybe they see in their schools the examples of, of others and they realize the beauty of having a headscarf on. But I remember there was a social media experiment, and such an amazing experiment, where this woman walked down Times Square. And, and the experiment was that she would walk down the same road, same time, exact same day. On one day, she was going to wear... Um, very kind of revealing clothes mm-hmm. just to see how much abuse she gets mm. that day I think there wasn't every 10 maybe every 20 to 30 seconds as she was walking someone made abused her in, made a comment or yeah. abused her in some sort of way made her uncomfortable mm-hmm. the very next week the same day same time she wore the Islamic garments mm. not one person said anything to her mm. and she herself then stated that although before I used to think that this is imprisoning, this is actually freeing. Yeah, it's more liberating. It's much more liberating because <coughs> ultimately men themselves, those same men who were making remarks to me because of what I was wearing, mm. 
didn't out of maybe I don't know whether they had this conscious to look down or whatever it was they just respected the fact that I don't want to be looked in that way hmm. so it's it, it, it's out there it's just a matter of understanding it and realizing that by no means by following this injunction does it lower your class does it lower your rights does it lower your reward anything it's just one of those things that you have to understand the beauty and wisdom mind but it's up to the individual it is up to the individual like i said look you can't but because that's the question we're asking hijab or no hijab now we've understood i understand you where you're coming from from an islamic perspective and as a practicing muslim mm-hmm. why it's important yeah but if you are a muslim yeah. and you choose not to wear it look there will never be a situation <coughs> where you hear someone say don't wear it yeah no 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 of course yeah. but what i'm saying is not somebody saying don't wear it i'm saying as an individual yeah let's say you don't have the strength of your faith hmm. and you choose not to wear it because you don't have that strength um or understanding but you're born into a faith yeah. and you haven't really but you practice certain aspects of your faith yeah and you choose to think look i i think i don't have the confidence to wear it because i don't have the understanding of it because the pressures of society the pressures of the peers the mm. pressures of the people i work around it it would be too much for me i'm not going to go and, and and say judge that person am i no for example i'll give the example i give you is this when you take your child to nursery for the first time hmm. i've not seen i've not come across one child that actually wants to go yeah. i'm just giving you an example of course, yeah. that child would cry scream it's, i don't want to go i don't want to go yeah. your parents are comforted by saying don't worry we'll send you a video of him mm-hmm. enjoying himself and when you drop him off it's the same situation that they cry mm. they want don't want to go and when you pick him up they're happy yeah and they get to a stage where they want to go mm. now the reason i've said that is because yes you're right religion and these practices you're also on a journey mm. and in your infancy stage you don't understand you don't want to do it mm. you might resent doing it because of what the media perception is but once you start to do it you will then see the benefits and wisdom of it so as a muslim we will never say no you don't have to do it mm. no that's wrong as well there's no element of us saying you don't have to do it you should do it mm. but there's no element of us forcing it on it's one either and that's the key yeah so there's no element in the same way that there's no element of forcing have to do it mm. but at the same time you it's no element of us saying yeah you don't have to do it it's the balance of this is what god has instructed us to do if you value god ultimately it comes to that if you value god mm. and you truly believe there is someone who's created this world and it, we have a purpose to worship him and find him and have a living connection with him and ultimately this world is a temporary abode that we're all going to leave one day mm. and when we leave and we go to that next life it's not going to matter what gender we are what family we're from ultimately whether you're a man or woman in this world your rewards of doing a good deed are equal this mm. is the equality that islam presents mm. regardless if you're a man or woman you do a good deed you get the equal reward mm. that reward is then going to that that book of kind of our deeds of this world is what's going to get judged in the next world mm. if you understand all of these things then there's no element of us saying no you don't have to do it 
well then you don't have to do it. well in fact you'll be saying well if you don't do it you're gonna you're shooting yourself in the foot yeah but it's, it's, I'm saying in any other field in life hmm. we never take shortcuts no if I want my car cleaned I'll make sure the car. guy cleans it but I'm not saying oh don't worry about the left wing <laughs> it's hmm. alright if you clean the rest of the car hmm. or if I'm having for example a free course meal and someone forgets to bring the dessert I'm like oh don't worry about the dessert so, I've had so the main say, course the, I'm saying like that that attitude of cherry saying, picking is cherry not an option is it, it sh- shouldn't be it shouldn't encouraged be, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be encouraged yeah. that you can pick and choose what you like but but even if you your, if your starting point is cherry picking yeah. you need to kind of mature with it you need to eventually get to a full completion yeah but it's that same thing with so we spoke about addiction today hmm. and one of the things is it's like one thing you will hear someone that's addicted to something will always say no I can give up if I want Yeah, and you're like well <laughs> the reality is you haven't realised that it's an issue and that comment just shows me that you're not in control of your behaviour at the moment hmm. And Islam says that if you want to never say I'll leave something till tomorrow. Yeah. Because you're not promised tomorrow. That's right. It's so sad actually, but I just, I had a friend um, in secondary school and it brought back this memory because yesterday it, some, it happened to someone else, but who just stopped coming to school. Mm. And a week later, we were all kind of gathered and he said that, you know, Daniel's passed away and he passed away in his sleep. Mm. There's nothing we can do. Like all of a sudden, that's the first experience of death for me. That in year eight, my good friends just passed away in sleep but th- that for me really brought this verse into context and I just the other day actually one of our neighbours daughter passed away in his sleep so it's it for me it really brought this verse into context I never leave something to tomorrow it reminds me of something Imam Atal Majib Rashid said to me I asked him a question I'm going back 20 odd years mm. Uh, and we were he was discussing he was giving an address uh, a lecture on uh, on on salat on praying and and he said and in something that he said it kind of resonated and sat with me forever that he goes do your prayer in a way that you know that this is going to be your last prayer yeah. ever mm-hmm. and then see the difference in how you perform your prayer yeah because he said exactly what he said he goes you don't know which is your last prayer which is your last yeah. prayer mm. and don't be left standing thinking oh yeah. had I done this better had I done this in, the, in that way my results would have been so much different mm. you won't have that option of had I yeah. no if buts maybes and perhaps when you have the option when you know what what is how you're supposed to do things then do it yeah. Don't say, you know, as they say, never leave today's work till tomorrow. Yeah, young uh, Swan, you've been fairly silent here. Uh, f- you know, yeah, I'm you just enjoying the the conversation okay. of the <laughs> elders. Feel, feel free, feel free to jump. Of in. the elders, God, I feel <laughs> so old when he said that. Of the elders, <laughs> he's the elder on the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I think getting back to the to the enforcing the Iranians, and I think uh, you don't hear that much that put your hijab on do this these kind of mm. the do's you hear a lot of don't do it don't oppress the woman don't there's this so much in the media that don't uh, like l- let the woman be free this and that we don't even say that much mm. the Muslims they just say oh it's a commandment for God it's up to you you want to do it if you don't want if you're not going to do it you're going to you're gonna miss out on it and uh, on the other hand there's so much bombarding like this happened that happened don't do this woman should be free so there's a lot more on the on the other side, whereas we 
we didn't even like there's, there's not that much enforcing mm. yes there is places like uh, in Iran and there's instances but what they are doing is, is just wrong so Islamically they are clearly in the wrong because you can't tell someone to follow one, one verse of the Holy Quran and then not follow the, not other. Follow the other yourself if it says there's no compulsion in religion why are you comp- uh, making it compulsory for the woman to wear the hijab you know it's one of those things that like I said you never come across someone who would say you have to do this and if you don't here's the punishment well you're not the one to punish that's right yeah. the reward and punishment of the, our acts in this world are not with you they're with God mm. so ultimately you can say to someone that, look this is what Islam says you should be doing this mm. and, uh, and and this is very interesting actually I always used to think God's very wonderful in the way that he's presented things some people do things because it's the right thing to do they don't need someone to tell them the right or wrong they know this is the right thing to do I'm going to do it some people do things because other people are watching and if I don't do the right thing I'll be labelled some people do things the right thing because out of the want of a reward that I'll get rewarded so I want to do the thing and some people do it out of fear of punishment Punishment. so and this is in every field of life Mm. you do things because you don't want to get fired you Mm -hmm. arrive on time because you don't want your boss to or you want a promotion and you know or the bonus is coming and you you know that I need to so it's the same in our religious injunctions God's told us ultimately the biggest reward is God being Mm. in the presence of God having a living relationship with him but he's also then mentioned certain rewards certain punishments so we can never say to someone you have to do this Hmm. It's ultimately saying This is the religious injunction This is the wisdom and beauty behind it You should do this And if you don't Ultimately yes you will lose out But you also on the same note You'll never find someone saying Yeah you can pick and choose what you want to do Again it's about Islam is not a fashion Hmm. Like where you pick and choose And when it's in the media When it's popular Or if there's a Disney series about it Okay now I want to do it Because I saw someone on Disney doing it It's about understanding That this is a way of life and there's beauty in every, this is a universal religion for all time yep. so as much as it's relevant now it'll be relevant in 100 years you're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself Kayyum Usman Junior Usman Junior we're going to take a very quick break when we come back uh, uh, during the break we will listen to some messages with regards to the topic we're discussing um, And but when we come back we're going to go to our final topic of the morning which is about family members body shaming other members of the family which is leading to insecurity for the younger generation so do stay tuned grab yourself a cup of coffee in fact um, I'd like uh, you know brown toast with a bit of uh, you know avocado chili flakes and some poached eggs um, I am in Morden in Batavutu so do feel free to send them to me uh, Usman what would you like no it doesn't matter as long as I get mine it doesn't matter what anybody else gets <laughs> do stay tuned we'll be right back after some some short messages a new station the voice of Islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of islam with the voice of islam an answer of the word hijab is an arabic word has many different meanings uh, it means veil covering curtain screen mental divider division and partition and religiously speaking it connotes to covering of head and neck by muslim women and the word hijab has now been associated uh, to Muslim women. 
However, the concept of hijab has deeper and profound meaning uh, for both men and women. The wisdom behind this Quranic injunction is to uh, dress modestly and practice chastity and refrain from anything and everything that may lead man and woman uh, to an unchaste life. Uh, the Quranic injunction is for first men and then for women. And uh, th this is that is to restrain our eyes and dress modestly. And it is important to note that uh, hijab is, uh, is prescribed in Islam, but Islam is not the only religion uh, that has prescribed hijab for women. In fact, religious history is filled with many instances uh, where, Muslim, uh, where women are commanded to dress modestly and wear hijab. For example, looking at the Abrahamic faith in Genesis chapter 24, we find an example, a small story of Isaac uh, and Rebekah where Isaac and Rebekah, before getting married, they are meeting. And Isaac is going to meet with Rebekah at a farm, at a field. And uh, she is working there with her female servant. And uh, she sees, Rebekah sees someone uh, coming towards her, a man. And she inquires from her female servant who this person is. And she says that it is Re Isaac. And she immediately grabs hold of her veil, covers herself, and, you know, dressing modestly. This is the message we get from this whole story. Uh, Mechitza is a practice of segregation uh, still being practiced in synagogues. Uh, there are many instances we find in the, in, the, in the New Testament as well where Christian women are uh, commanded to dress modestly in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. And we don't have to go too far to find an example of hijab or dressing modestly in Christianity. We just have to look at the example of uh, Mother of uh, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, Mother Mary, as they call it. Um, so she's always dressed in uh, modestly and covering her head in pictures, whatever she is depicted. Um, and Paul has actually taken it to the next level in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 to 6. Uh, he is commanding, he's telling the Christian ladies that they must cover their head, especially when they're praying. praying. And he goes on to say that if a woman does not cover her head, her head should be shaved off. This is an extreme, of course, and Islam teachings of Islam are not so extreme. They are modest, and uh, Islam has prescribed hijab for men and women alike. And uh, both have to dress modestly and restrain their eyes. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Welcome back to Tuesday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayu, and uh, with uh, Brother Usman. Um, just to finish off the topic, I, I remember uh, interviewing a young student, a young member of uh, a young student member of the Amdi Muslim Women Auxiliary Organization, and and she made such a, a profound statement from my perspective and from my understanding that I'll, I always remember, um, I will always remember it. And, and and she said, look, when people ask me about um, the hijab um, and people question me, um, they, they have this assumption that people are stupid or people are not, women don't understand and they're being forced to wear it. And she And she mm -hmm. actually, very calmly, she says, look, I always tell people that my hijab covers my head, not my brain. <laughs> and that kind of answered everything. That she's so correct, that 
a hijab yeah. covers her head because she's following her Islamic injunction. But then she understands it. It doesn't cover her brain. It doesn't restrict her from thinking. In fact, in 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 so many ways, she says, "Well, the f- because I feel liberated, I'm actually comfortable in how I think, and it makes me think better." So, you know, I I kind of want to finish it on on that note. That uh, you know, if if um, you know, I think Brother Usman, but um, he he kind of said I, I couldn't have said it in a better way. I think he gave perfect examples of uh, of. Uh, why and how this injunction is to be followed and and the protests in iran um you know th- that there is no um there is no place in islam for persecution of anybody um and there is no place in islam of of people being killed because um because a, a, a certain force is uh, supposedly um policing your morality um, yeah. That is that is the individual to do, um, and as uh, Brother Osman said, everyone is responsible and answerable to God Almighty for their own actions. Um, you're listening to the Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, and uh, Usman Manan. Um, on to our last topic of the morning, Brother Osman. It is all about body shaming. So, what's the gist of this um, um, topic uh, that uh, that we're going to be discussing for the last half hour? So, picture the scene. A little girl tries on a sparkly de- dress, does a tour and with great satisfaction smooths it down. The adults around her echo her delight and tell her how pretty she is. Later she looks at her favourite books and sees slim people and slender animals going on exciting adventures, while their heavier counterparts are portrayed as slow or clumsy. Sometimes she notices her own parents fretting about their weight or looks. So, body shaming. So, I presume, I mean, I'll be honest with you, this, this is, again, modern phenomenons, modern term, modern language, terminology. Um, so, this is about making another person or specifically we're talking about the younger youth, because the, the younger generation, because they are so influenced by Facebook, social media, generally TikTok, Instagram, and, and a lot of... Um, influencers you know who are on these yeah. on these social media platforms they're followed by a lot of youth mm-hmm. and uh, they want to look like them they want to be they want to feel like they portray themselves the the, the, the way they portray themselves on their social media platforms um, and you know in in recent months and, and years it's 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 become evident that a lot of it is fake a lot of it is doctored. It's not what yeah. people do really look like. But in reality, a lot of the youth um, follow these people. So body shaming is when somebody within your family is making you feel that the way you look is not right. Is that how you would how you would define it? Yeah, I think so. It's just saying, dictating how you should look. I, I think it takes it back back to our point that there's no compulsion in religion. There's mm. also no compulsion in uh, uh, telling someone what to wear, how to look. Uh, it's personal choice, freedom. So, so, so this this aspect of how you look is always linked with confidence and low self-esteem. So, self-esteem is such an act that children develop from an early age. 
and and they connect it directly to the way they look. And an example of this is exactly what you talked about: how a little girl tries a beautiful dress and and she's feeling satisfied, um, and her family is is uh, is you know encouraging her, telling her how she looks, um, how she looks good. When but when but when this notion of being complimented isn't there. In fact, you're being picked on. Oh, you're too overweight, yeah. or you ate too much. Oh, your nose is not straight. You have a, you know, um, your eyes is this, and and every and people pick and choose. And nowadays, people are very critical, and people somehow feel that they have the right to criticize people the way they look, um, irrespective of whether they know them or not. And that is known as body shaming someone. Now, body shaming is something that develops, um, um, as as you said, it grows into adulthood. Um, and uh, when we talk about this girl who enters into her teenage years, um, and as I've just said, the influence of social media kind of takes over, it starts becoming, um, uh, or uh, it starts. To, to, the person starts to form habits which becomes dangerous for the physical health of this of this uh, of the of the youngsters so how does it affect um when 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 people um from your own family um body shame you or, or, or critical i mean i don't like that word body shame but i mean it mm. is what it is um when people start to pick on the way you look so over the past few years, research has, uh, research has proven that most of the body shaming is influenced by others around you. This may include friends and family members in which parents play a huge role in their increasing um, the individual self-esteem and self-confidence. This suggests that the teen girl would be influenced by her friends and her family, including her parents, and later social media may play a significant role in this. This will not just decrease her self-esteem. by um, it will affect her mental health. This is because the social media sites that she uses may portray very unrealistic body standards which will also affect the mental health of the girl as she may compare herself and question her own body. So self-esteem, self-confidence, these are like very big words and it's very very difficult for someone who is being you know, uh, bombarded by negative comments mm. to, to hold up that self-esteem. Let's go and talk to our uh, guest uh, of the morning. We have got with us Professor Jane Ogden. Um, she's a professor in health uh, psychology at the University of Surrey, and she has written several books, including two on eating behavior and dieting, and one for parents on how to help children have a healthy relationship with food and their bodies. She has two children of her own, 20 and 23. Good morning, um, Assalamualaikum, and peace be on you, uh, Professor Ogden. Thank you for taking time out and coming on to The Breakfast Show. Thank you. Good morning. Um, could you begin by explaining um, what a health psychologist does? Oh. <laughs> yes, a health psychologist is um, someone who's interested in the physical health of, a, of an individual. So we look at physical health conditions like uh, obesity, diabetes, um, heart disease, uh, cancer, and then we look at the health-related behaviours that can link to that, such as eating behaviour, uh, exercise, sleep, 
Um, and then we think about the ways in which people make sense of the world they live in, make sense of their own bodies, um, uh, their own beliefs, their attitudes and their emotions. So we, we, we see psychology as being a kind of cause and a contributing factor towards health, not just as a kind of consequence. So often people think about clinical psychology, which is you know, focusing on anxiety and depression, um, and that can be the consequence of having a, a physical body or a physical health problem. But we're looking at psychology right across the whole of the process. So in the context of this, we will be thinking about how your childhood, how your learning, how your parents, um, how language, how the, in the world that you live in, whether it's through your social media or your peers, influences how you feel about yourself. Um, and then now how that then Im impacts upon how you behave, so how you eat, how you sleep, how you um, do exercise, and then how then you self-care and look after yourself and the impact that has on your physical health. And what are the more severe conse uh, consequences of body shaming, particularly by family members that children may face? Well, I mean, body shaming can have a whole wave of different in influences on an individual. Um, it can be very subtle um, and can be made through humour or through casual comments. Um, and it can just eat away at someone's self-esteem. It can add to their sense of body criticism. Um, it can make them feel, just lo have low mood. Um, make them feel negative about themselves and then as time goes on that can have a whole range of knock-on effects on their relationships with other people making them feel that they're not worthy um, making them pick bad relationships because they don't have any self-esteem about who they are or their self-worth um, it can change the way that they eat it can lead to dieting it can lead to severe dieting um, food restriction or e excessive um, exercise and, and poor sleep because people aren't aren't able to self care, um, and then it can lead to you know even more extreme behaviours like you know self harm or eating disorders or you know exercise addiction and, and things which can then go wrong and become quite pathological, but it becomes the core of who you are. So your sense of worth, your sense of identity, is tied up in lots of bits of the components of who we are. But one component of that is how we feel about how we look and our bodies. And if that is criticised and undermined, then that can set us off on a pathway to a whole whole range of unhealthy practices and health outcomes. Thank you. And do you believe that there is a gender there is a gender element to body shaming, boys and girls? Um, I think I mean most of the literature is focused focused on girls, and girls have, have I suppose, traditionally been the ones who've been judged for how they look, probably more than boys have. Um, and because that becomes an automatic thing, then people will both praise girls for how they look, saying you're pretty or that's a nice dress or, you know, aren't you beautiful, haven't you got a nice face? So they'll do it both positively and then also negatively because girls are often presented in the world as things to look at. Um, but I think that's very much changing. So there's increasing emphasis now on also how boys look in terms of their height or their, you know, how muscly they are or their jawline. Um, or their bone structure or their shoulders so we've all already got a template for what boys should look like as well and I think increasingly they're also being criticised for not matching up to that template or, or being made to feel that they don't match up to that template so whenever there's an ideal about what a body should look like then someone will be criticised for apparently not matching up to that, to that, to that ideal mm -hmm. And what impact does social media have on children's view of body image and how does this fuel insecurities? 
Well, I think nowadays it has a huge impact because that's the world they live in. So, um, you know, in my childhood, we watched TV and we didn't have very many channels, whereas they have access to social media all the time um, through their phones. And it's a constant, constant bombardment with, with ideals about how you should look. So you get you get sent a whole a whole array of images about the ideal female body or the ideal male body. You then also get sent a whole array of images of people who are also unhappy with the way they look. So people will be commenting about their own look, saying that I don't, you know, I'm I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I've, um, I'm too spotty, my skin's no good, or whatever. So you're constantly seeing other people engaging in self-criticism, um, and so you get very much caught up in the fact that that's what's important in life, and and those are the important domains in which to judge yourself. And then obviously, you know, they're constantly getting feedback. Um, on their own images that they put out there. So, you know, you get likes and you get engagement from other people and that's very reinforcing. Um, so, you know, basic kind of reinforcement, laws of reinforcement, if you get something and it's positive, then you want more of it. So you put a photo of yourself out there that's been photoshopped or, and edited in some way and you get lots of likes saying you're looking beautiful. Then that feeds back thinking, no, that's how I want to look. So social media is a very powerful, addictive tool that's been designed like that. I mean, they know what they're doing. They build in likes and they build in feedback and they build in prompts so that people carry on, carry on engaging with it. It's got an algorithm built into it that makes sure that it sends us images that they think they that we want. And for young people, that means that they are they're not just having the odd comment from a from a mum or a dad or a, or a or a sibling. They're having comments all the time relating to how they look and how they feel they should look. So it has a huge impact on them. Um, Professor Ogden, you mentioned social media, and and on social media, there's so much, as you so rightly said, so much material on. Uh, on uh, on how one should look in order to be appreciated or um or 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 they always telling you if you look this way um it will affect your confidence in in a in a positive manner but we already know that a lot of these um influencers they take advantage of filters there's there's a lot of fake images that are out there why isn't the the message of how dangerous this is um, on social media as uh, you know why why don't organisations use social media as well to highlight the dangers of of such platforms? Um, I mean, I think because the, the platforms themselves don't encourage that, so they they know what they're doing and they send us images that are more addictive. But also, I think even though on one level, an intellectual level, you know it's dangerous. On the day-to-day, moment-by-moment level, it feels very innocuous, hmm. um, and that's that's its power, isn't it? Because you're just flicking through, you know, benign, quick TikTok images, or you're quickly looking at images on your whatever it is feed that you've got on your Instagram. Um, so it doesn't feel dangerous in the moment. It feels in the moment. It feels benign. It feels fun. It feels neutral. It feels nothing. It's just like a kind of pastime. So it's hard to kind of tie those two things up. Um, in the long term and the cumulative effect, clearly it's dangerous and damaging. But but in the short term, in the immediate term, it feels like it's just a thing, a way to pass the time. But I think people do need to be more clearly taught about you know how images are just fake um, and not to believe it and to be given concrete examples of that. And then also to be encouraged to look around them into the real world and those are the comparisons that you make. If you want to compare to anybody, you know, compare yourself to your peer group. 
um, look up from your phone and look around the world and you'll see lots of people without makeup who haven't done their hair, who are all different shapes and sizes, have all different types of noses, all different types of lips. And those are the worlds that's out there in that real world. And if you can encourage people to look at the real world rather than the fake world, I think that would help, whilst also telling them how fake that world actually is. Wonderful. Now, you've written uh, a book on how families can help children have a healthy relationship with food. Could you ex- briefly explain to to us and our listener that how families can also help children with self-esteem and body image in relation to this? I mean, how does one parent kind of not convince but um, make their child aware that the way they look should be they should be confident in the way they look and they don't need to alter anything within the shape um to to um you know to to fit in how, how does how i mean is there a tool is there techniques that out there that parents can yeah. use yeah, well definitely i mean i think the first thing is just to be a good role model hmm. so you know body dissatisfaction um dieting low self-esteem they run in families so if you've got parents who are critical of the way they look, if you've got a parent who's always saying, oh, I don't like the way I look, I don't like my hair, I don't like my nose, I don't like my bottom, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, that role modelling just directly impacts upon the children. So the children are being brought up in a family, which is which is self-critical, and then they, they normalise that, and I think that's the way that, it, that it's going to be. So the first thing, absolutely, parents have to be good role models. They have to be body confident themselves, um, they have to be self, they have to show their high self-esteem, they have to talk about themselves in positive ways and also they have to not prioritise or privilege the way they look you know there's, there's so much else to who we are as human beings we can be clever, we can be funny, we can be kind um, we can be good mums we can be good children, we can be good friends, we can work hard, we can be good at music, good at dancing you know, there's a million and one characteristics that human beings have other than how they physically look and parents have to role model that they are positive about themselves but also that they believe in all these other domains and that these other domains are more important so within a family environment the way you look has to become minimized really it's really not that central to who we are as human beings it's it's a, it's a sort of it's part of us but it's a smaller much smaller small part than it's become so the first thing, yeah, parents just have to be good role models. And, and when you have children, if you have issues about your own um, body esteem, then you need to park them, really. You need, as a parent, you need to put them on one side so that your child hears you talking about yourself in a positive way and then talking about all the other things that are positive about themselves. And then I think the second thing they need to do is a parent just needs to talk about the other positive things of the child. So you don't say, you don't keep telling them that they're beautiful or they're wonderful because that still focuses on their physical self, although you can still do that, but you mm. compliment for other things. You know, you try hard, you're, you're, you're clever, you're funny, you're kind, you focus on that, those components of the child, so they then raise in salience and then they become important. Now, in addition to the physical element and the physical side of body shaming, we th- there is a huge mental health side of of body shaming as well, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it leads to all sorts of um, mental health problems, and it can be related to self harm, can be to, to depression, to anxiety. You know, in children, it can relate to school absenteeism, 
where they just don't want to go in because they feel too um, too uncomfortable to be around other people. Um, so no, and it, and it can track into adulthood. So if you have childhood, teenage years, which are wracked with self-doubt and low self-esteem, it's going to be very hard to shake that as you transition into adulthood and then live your life as an adult. So yeah, no, very huge, huge impact on physical and mental health. And how does one develop a good relationship with food? <laughs> um, I mean, as a, as a parent, to help your child develop a good relationship with food, you do the same things. I mean, again, you're a good role model, so you eat good food around your child. You make um, you you are seen to have a good relationship with food. You don't talk about food all the time. Food is there when it's necessary, and and you like food, but it's not the most important thing in your life. Nor is it something to be frightened of. No, um, the, the reason I ask this question on mainstream media, television, social media, newspapers, magazines, everybody seems to be an expert in food. Everybody seems, <laughs> and everybody is like, well, no, you follow this diet, but then you go on to turn another page or you, another magazine and it tells you the total opposite of what you've just read. Um, what What's the way? I mean, I'm, I'm me as a parent, I thinking, well, yes, okay, you kind of. Sometimes you just need to apply a bit of common sense and go back to basics. But we do live in a world where even parents are influenced by what the media, social media, mainstream media are saying. How do they make that choice? I think, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that you, you do go back to basics. It's not, food is not that complicated. It's mm. become really complicated because of you know, endless chefs telling us how to cook fabulous, delicious, amazing meals all the time and the diet industry which has sold us multiple contradictory messages about what we should be eating but you know I think you should eat well um, and eating well means eating meals not eating snacks if you can so eating three meals a day breakfast lunch and dinner eating at a table so that you'll sit down and it becomes a, a proper event rather than something that you grab and go when you forget that you've had you've had it so you eat at a table you eat mindfully at the table and and you're having your meal and then you eat well. So, you know, what we know, the very basic rules of nutrition is you eat lots of fruit and veg, and that's, that's good for you. Um, and you try not to overcomplicate it or over, overthink it, and you put it back in its box. Food has kind of spilled out to being, you know, part of every, every component of our lives. If we go to the cinema, we have food. If we watch the telly, we have food. If we go in the car, we have food. You know, whenever we meet anybody, we have food. <laughs> And it's spilled right out to occupy every sort of nook and cranny mm. of our day-to-day -day lives. And it, it doesn't need to be. It needs to be something which is about being hungry and fueling yourself and, and eating well, not being the best cook ever, the best chef ever, just cooking pretty basic food and getting lots of fruit and vegetables inside you and your children. And that's, that's, I think that's what it is about. To apply the common sense approach. <laughs> well, the problem is common sense approach don't make headlines, do they? So, yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, going uh, back to basics of have a bit yeah. of everything. Yeah, it's, you know, it's awful, isn't it? But things in moderation. Yeah. You know, don't, don't overeat, don't undereat, don't over, don't over worry about it, um, don't obsess about it, don't be the best cook, just cook. Just cook. You know, if you're going to have, if you're going to have, I don't know, pasta pesto for lunch with some salad, just have it. If you're going to have cheese on toast for some lunch with some cucumber just have it it's just got to be kind of you've got to get through life you've got to manage if you're a parent you've got to manage all the stresses that that brings but you've got to just get fruit and vegetable into your children wonderful um, 
Professor Jane Ogden, thank you so much for taking time out for the breakfast show this morning. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Interesting points there by Professor. And and makes sense, you know, um, vegetables, a bit of salad, you know, and and the best thing, um, and which kind of falls in line with the uh, with the teachings of Islam is moderation, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. Moderation everywhere, wherever you go. If you have <coughs> a balanced lifestyle, you basically don't have many issues. I just like to mention a a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. He mentioned that you should, you should when you eat, you should fill up your stomach a third with food and a third with water, and you should leave a third space. For, for some air to flow in hmm. you know people forget that when you breathe that, that also goes into your stomach so if you if your stomach is full there's no space for the air to go in and then your body has to make space you know you, you start spreading out so moderation obviously key to everything in chapter 82 verse 7 to 9 in the Holy Quran it says oh man what has made thee arrogant in relation to thy noble lord the one who created you and perfectly proportioned you and fashioned you with justice. This he did at every stage and to every form in which he compounded and fashioned you. You've been listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, uh, Brother Usman Jr., which is Usman Manan, and Brother Usman Sr., which is Brother Usman. But I want to thank all of our guests for taking time out and uh, uh, coming on to The Breakfast Show this morning. Um, thank you to our producer Dania Nasser and researcher Isha Ahmed. Um, thank you to you for listening. Um, please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayers. Uh, please join us. Uh, um, the breakfast show will be back tomorrow morning uh, with uh, Brother Shajil, um, and uh, and Drive Time will be back. Uh, or you, or you can uh, tune in to Drive Time from four o'clock to six o'clock. Uh, um, in the afternoon um, as I said please remember us in your prayers and until we meet again uh, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all